communism is just a matter of collectivism. I really don't know what communism actually is. Communism also was an ideal that it is worthwhile sacrificing one life for. Hello and welcome back to Democracy How, a podcast that has absolutely no relation to democracy now. Uh, my name is Sean Donovan. I'm your host. Uh, and this is my podcast where we talk about democracy. So if you listened in uh, last week, welcome back. Uh, if you haven't been abducted by the government yet, um, last week's episode and a continuation of this week's episode is about revolution and uh, a communist revolution for that matter. And I think uh, if you listen to yesterday or last week's episode, um, a lot of people may have been turned off or frightened or otherwise uh, baffled about uh, a couple guys just sitting down and talking just kind of matter-of-factly about overthrowing the government of the United States. Uh, and I know and I made a bunch of jokes as well in uh, the sort of monologue. Uh, I just want to state, though, um, point of clarification, this comes up in uh, this uh, segment of the episode, I know last week's didn't really include this, but uh, the party that he's describing, uh, Facundo Rompe, my guest, uh, this week as well as last week, he's describing the new Communist Party uh, Liaison Committee, which is not a act an actual party right, yet, uh, right now. Um, they are sort of a loose collection of different uh, groups, communist groups across the country. Uh, one of them, Facundo, is part of called the Red Guards. Uh, that's what he was speaking about uh, and continues to speak about. Uh, and right now they're in a phase where they are um, doing outreach, um, educating people on sort of class struggle and uh, communist struggle. So nobody is f forming guerrillas and about to take down the government. That's not a thing that's happening right now. Um, although, if you were to look up, um, you know, Mao or Maoism um, and read about it, you know that uh, it is the eventual plan of groups like that um, to eventually wage a war against the capitalist state. But I don't think that's anytime soon. And I should state for the record, while I do agree with um, a lot of uh, Facundo's views, we see the world pretty, pretty similarly. I am uh, not a, a member of his group or that party. So I just want to clarify that. Um, <laughs> other than that, uh, it's pretty interesting. I hope uh, even if you don't agree with what we're saying, I hope you at least were able to listen to it and take something away from it. And we're going to get more in-depth uh, this week's episode, but since we were talking about communism and uh, the nature of bringing about democracy through communism, I wanted to go out and talk to people on the street and just see if the general population had sort of any idea what communism is. What, what does the general population think of communism? Do they know anything about it? Do they think it's good? Do they think it's bad? Uh, so I went up to my old stomping ground, my old neighborhood in uh, North Hollywood, 
Los Angeles, and I took a stroll around and I talked to people on the street. So uh, here are my interviews with uh, strangers uh, about uh, communism. And again, for the record, uh, these people, they're just strangers on the street. They don't endorse anything that uh, I have to say or the views expressed in this program. Let's go to the interviews. How would you define communism? Well, I'd define communism as like uh, like one-sided, like everyone, everything's the same, such as like money-wise, car-wise, like house, housing, everything's pretty much the same, social class, like no one's really like at the same level, everyone's making the same amount of money, everyone has like the same type of car, same type of clothes, same type of like everything, okay. pretty do, much. Do you think it's uh, good or bad or mm, I think it's like, it's one of the things where you could say like it's uh, good and bad, because like it's pretty good, because like once again, like as you said, like everything is like a... Uh, like equal no you don't have to worry about like uh pretty much like you don't have to worry about who's making more and who's making less because every, everything's the same wage but then again it's kind of bad because like uh if you want to make more you can't and if you want to buy certain stuff like uh there's only one thing out there and everything's pretty much the same hello how's it going good uh so how would you define communism Socialism and uh, collectivism are all kind of blended together yeah. in these days, and and depending on whether you're trying to make it sound like a bad thing or a good thing, right. you know, you'll change your definition from one actual concept to another. Marxism and Leninism, and they're all different things. Right. But but yeah, communism is just a matter of collectivism. And do you think that collectivism then is generally good or bad? Well, I think it's been used very badly, but I think that when you practice communism, you end up with a very powerful central government, mm -hmm. and unless you happen to have good leaders, you're screwed. Got it. All right. Thank you very much. Hello. How's it going? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so how would you define uh, communism? I remember reading a confederacy of dunces and... The guy, you know, calls everybody communists. Uh, you know, who's his enemy? Who you can't relate to. And uh, I, I like that because I really don't know what communism actually is right. or so means. Would you think it's good or bad or just indifferent since you don't? Really I mean, I, I imagine there's probably elements of both good and bad, and then one becomes the other very easily. But as far as I know, I have no idea. All right. Well, yeah. thank you very much. All right. How would you define communism? Um, communism, I would say, is definitely something, uh, you know, it's, I guess the biggest definition is, you know, everybody's equal. Everybody has a set wage that they're destined to make. Do you think it's good or bad? Um, it's good as in the sense of that now everybody's going to be on the same type of level as far as financial, financially, so you're not worrying too much about the poor, and there's kind of takes away from that, but at the same time, if you have poor people, now they cannot move from the economic status, which is kind of the frightening part and the part that's kind of sad to hear about it. You know, it's a, it's harder to move up, you know, because whatever family you're born into, that's where you're stuck at, and that's it. So, Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Very well, thank you. And uh, how would you define communism? Well, there are several definitions of communism. Um, one is communism is a system of uh, ideas. It's an ideology mm -hmm. 
that uh, uh, prevails uh, usually in situations that uh, are ridden with material uh, conflicts and uh, internal struggles within the society. And communism as an ideology offers a solution to those conflicts and internal struggles. Uh, second, uh, communism is a description of utopian future society, which many misunderstand and think that uh, Karl Marx wrote the whole book and the whole theory about uh, communism, which mm -hmm. is not true, mm -hmm. since uh, he has only one or two pages describing what communism is supposed to be in one of his books. His main specialty, Karl Marx's specialty, was uh, capitalism. So, anyway, in these two uh, pages he describes communism as a type of society that is going to be perfect. Everybody is going to work according to their uh, abilities and everybody is going to receive according to their needs. Mm -hmm. So, and in this future society there will be no war, there will be no exploitation, there will be no discrimination. Uh, people will be happy to go to work because that's how they will express uh, their identities and their abilities. And uh, there will be no states, there will be no borders, no immigration. And so, uh, and pretty much uh, that's uh, like utopian version uh, because uh, in order to succeed that version, we need a transitional society between communi uh, capitalism, yeah. which is the imperfect society critiqued by uh, Karl Marx and his followers, mm -hmm. and this future society. So what is the transitional period? The transitional period, uh, the transitional society is called socialism, mm -hmm. but it is part of the future communist society, so, uh, and that is supposed to set up and prepare for its uh, fulfillment. So, in fact, all the societies in the world so far have achieved only or tried to achieve this first stage, the socialist stage right. of the future communist society. While the co communism still remains as an ideal or utopia which has never been fulfilled. Right. And, um, and, and how would you, what would you think about like communism? Do you think that utopian society is ever, we can ever achieve it? Well, they drive our imagination. Uh, the idea of com uh, future uh, utopian society are the ones that have uh, driven many social thinkers, revolutionaries, uh, activists and artists really to portray what is the alternative uh, to the inequalities that we live in. All societies have some kind of uh, form of inequality, mm -hmm. but what is the alternative? So, as, an, as, a, as a driving force, uh, thinking about utopian society is really very positive. So, and I would like to mention something about on personal level, yeah. uh, yeah. because besides uh, the above-mentioned above uh, descriptions of what communism is or should be, mm -hmm. or how it can be perceived, on a personal level, my grandfather uh, was the oldest communist in my country. And where are you from? Uh, I'm from originally from Bulgaria. Okay. Cool. And uh, he was the leader of the first anti-fascist movement uh, uprising in 1923. And then he risked his life uh, in the underground during uh, the Nazi occupation or Nazism in 1944 and so forth. So the point is that for him, mm -hmm. I cannot speak on my behalf, but I can speak on his behalf because that's what he gave us as legacy. Communism also was an ideal that it is worthwhile sacrificing one life for. Okay. So, and uh, 
And do you think America will ever achieve socialism or communism? I don't think that these are achievable and they should be achieved. Right. And America has very unique history, has unique history. It's where a history of a capitalism. Right. Basically, yes. the founding of capitalism. Right. And I don't think that communism or socialism are the alternatives to the American society. Uh, America has unique setting and unique history and unique structures that should be improved, but not uh, towards socialist or communist uh, results. You think more in an anarchy way? or No, no or? anarchy. No, I'm against anarchy. Oh, okay. I'm for organized uh, social organizations. Collectivism be- or right collectivism definitely should be more encouraged but again we live in a very individualized society that's the major characteristic of uh, america Uh, but the point is that i don't think uh, communism or socialism should be uh, the solution and uh, we can collectively think about different options and we can have the discussion openly without fear of being persecuted for our views Mm -hmm. but i don't feel that uh, people uh, should go to only one option. The, right. the social world is much more diverse and much right. more interesting and much more productive that we have to look for different other alternatives. But this could come as a result not from oligarchy or mm-hmm. um, uh, from the ruling class and the, the, the one percent right. that are ruling the society. It should come as a base uh, from the a result of these uh, public discussions, dialogues and... Um, oh. and <laughs> organizational uh, uh, forms of meetings and people being able to exchange ideas. Well, thank you very much. That was a great answer. You too. (laughs) All right, we're back. Uh, Again, I want to apologize for that wind. I do uh, need to figure out some way around the wind. Uh, Maybe if you want to send me money via PayPal and eventually be convicted of providing material support to a known terrorist, you can PayPal me. Uh, but yeah, all right, so those interviews, uh, I'm always surprised, like, people have a lot to say, and, uh, you know, some of the people didn't really know what communism was, um, but a lot of them uh, had a general idea, or at least a working knowledge of it, um, if, even if they had some misconceptions. Uh, and how awesome was that last lady? Pretty great. What a random encounter. So uh, I think that pretty pretty much sets the table for the rest of the discussion with uh, Facundo Rampe. Um, so here it is. At the end of the day, like, yes, you could say that communists and anarchists both want anarchy. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much the, like, that's what, uh, also just in, on a different note, but like, uh, fascinates me a lot is if you asked like, if not like racists, but like if you ask like regular people what their version of utopia is, like what their dream society is, like everybody's dream would be so close to one another's dream. It's just like people just going about their business without, uh, you know, like these structures that are holding them down. Uh, for anybody, for like white middle class people, they, most of them hate their jobs. They don't even yeah. like what they're doing. They're just doing it because they got it. So, like, they would just want to pursue a sort of passionate thing, and, you know, it would look so much the same, but just getting people to, I don't know, I guess, find a way to make that come about or connect in a way that actually uh, brings about a meaningful change is the big question, and uh, that's what revolution could do. And uh, I guess, so with the revolution, I think a lot of people would, well, number one, a lot of people are just going to be turned off by the idea of uh, an actual revolution, especially in, you know, America. This is, 
the greatest country in the world. I did air quotes. But there is also a fear of communism that's not... I don't, I don't think it's uh, a wrong fear, but people have a lot of misperceptions about it. But then if you take a country like China, who had this big communist revolution and became a communist country under Mao, or pretty close to one, mm-hmm. uh, and then sort of, you know, Mao died... And then the, the the Communist Party remained, but the Communist Party that's in power now is not communist. It's mm-hmm. now sort of like a neoliberal market mm-hmm. capitalism. So I think people have a... The, there is a legit fear of... after So after the revolution, say, communists win, what is the, what is the next step? How do you prevent just another hierarchy that replicates the same mechanisms? Like how the American Revolution did away with monarchy, but replicated the same mechanisms of oppression. And then, say, a communist revolution, how does it stop from replicating the same systems of oppression that capitalism is doing? Yeah. And Big question. No, it's actually a, it's a great question, and uh, it's something that we as a Maoist actually fully embrace. Uh, we fully embrace the criticism that is often um, given to socialist countries, or quote-unquote socialist countries, yeah. where you know, co- parties that call themselves communists are in power, um, and so, okay, so, so issues of, uh, of oppression, uh, and the hierarchy of oppression, all these things do not go away if you as a communist party take over a country. Mm-hmm. History, uh, dialectical materialism, none of these things are magic. So right. if, if you and I and a bunch of other people decide and we had millions of people supporting us and we took over the U.S. today... There will still be racism. There will still mm-hmm. be sexism. There will right. still be, perhaps even killing of, of of African American people in the street, right? Right. Because the contradictions all stem from the mode of production and from the relationship that people have to each other and to the economy. Mm-hmm. That's where all the injustices come from. So what Mao did, uh, which set him apart from other groups, um, was that he opened it up for there to be another revolution after the revolution, the cultural revolution, because he understood that there, there are natural tendencies in people or in an organization, especially in revolutionary settings, to uh, want to reintroduce, either reintroduce bourgeois ideas or mm-hmm. just have a really hard time getting rid of those bourgeois ideas. Right. So hierarchy, <clears throat> uh, I don't see that as the main an- antagonism in society. I see, I see that as a kind of like a secondary one. But issues of, uh, of corruption, issues mm-hmm. of, of, of stealing, of, of rape, of, uh, of just incorrect uh, uh, ideas and stuff like that, taking hold of a party, will always happen. And the way to get rid of those is by making sure that you, one, have the support of the people, and if the people decide this communist party or this quote-unquote communist revolution isn't working for us, then it's the obligation of the people to take it down. To redo it again. Yeah. That's actually was hap- is what, hap- what is happening in Nepal. So Nepal had a people's war from 1996 to 2006. And the Maoists actually won. Yeah. Right? So they were part of the, the government. They were part of parliamentary. They got rid of the monarch. But then the same people are saying, well, what's happening now? They still see issues with government corruption. They don't see that socialism that they were told to. That this is what we're fighting for. So now, actually, sometime early this year... Um, a group of Maoists are actually now trying to initiate another war, trying to in- initiate another revolution, rather. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that I think that people need to, to understand. Communism isn't a strict rule where you do what we say and you shut the fuck up. 
That's what a lot of people, I think, have Communism means you, the people, you as the working class, as you as the oppressed, exploited people, you are the party, you are, you are communism, and it's your right to, to shape your revolution how you see fit, you know? Mm-hmm. There's this other quick concept called the mass line. In Maoism, that's something that's very central to us, and a lot of other, I guess, uh, tendencies within Marxism, uh, they don't fully embrace this, but mass line is, you got to learn from the people and teach the people. So this idea of, like, I know that the term vanguard scares off a lot of people, um, <laughs> and, you know, I understand why, but for us... The mass line is what keeps us in check to make sure that we're actually connected with the masses, to make sure we're connected with the people. The last thing we want is to impose something that the people aren't even supportive of. That's that's antithetical to communism. Right. When you say uh, Maoist, um, and even Leninist, but I'll focus on Mao because we're talking about China. uh, Mao, I mean, a lot of people, especially here, equate him with Hitler, Stalin, as being just a mass murderer, uh, an awful human being, and just like... A terrible, terrible everything, like one of the worst mass murderers in history. And I was actually, um, someone had recommended me a book that I read called uh, Battle for uh, China's Past, uh, Mao and the Cultural Revolution uh, by a guy named Mobo Gao. And I think that's a very, it's a critical piece and it takes down a lot of um, things that were written about Mao and goes to like historical records to uh, sort of fact check some of these claims that are made. I guess like, so people are turned off by Mao, like he's not like, I mean he definitely, he uh, was a military guy there was a lot of like fucked up stuff that happened obviously it's a civil war how do you stop atrocities from happening but like what do you think um i guess the way he's portrayed so you don't view him as like a monster no you view him as a liberator yeah and uh and i think that's mostly correct uh but and also like uh even the chinese uh government now has thrown like the cultural revolution under the bus of course uh, because a lot of the people and uh, some people listening probably uh, you know check out that book that i mentioned it's well worth the read and you can fact check all the stuff i'm saying but basically the people um during the cultural revolution it was you know 10 years uh from the 50s to the 60s where mao saw like these uh sort of bourgeois tendencies forming within the Communist Party of China, and he sort of led a new revolution of uh, uh, the proletarian to throw out some of these people. But he didn't, um, whereas Stalin sort of just gunned down his political rivals, just had them all executed, uh, Mao more just excommunicated them from the Communist Party. Uh, Then he had them come back and reinstated a lot of people. But then after Mao's death, uh, a lot of those people came back into power, and then they just said, ah, the hell with Mao, and just uh, sort of uh, took the capitalist road. Yeah. I forget where I was going with that exactly. But, yeah, I mean, what would you say, like, so people get turned off by uh, Mao. How did, like, what would you say to people who think he's a monster? Uh, well, I mean, uh, in the age of the Internet, it's, it's fairly easy, uh, even though, I mean, most of Google and most of American social media is very skewed, obviously, even though it, Claims not to be skewed to be anti-communism. Anti-communism, I think, is really like ingrained in the fiber of uh, of Americanism. Um, but I would just recommend to people to just Google and fact check, and you could see. And actually, the same thing with with Stalin. There's a lot of a uh, rebuking of the of the the statistics of what, what is it, twenty million people, fifty million people. Yeah, that in in Mobile Gao's book, he also like calls into claim like well, or calls into check these claims of like, well, where did where did those numbers come from? And that's yeah. a good question to ask. Like, who's coming up with those numbers? Right. They say Mao killed thirty million people, but a lot of it was just. Um, I mean, there were obviously deaths in the Great Leap Forward. He, you know, there was agricultural mistakes that were made, but it was mm-hmm. also a fucking drought. 
um, which, yeah. you, you know, that's God, you can't control that, that just happens. And then it's like, well, how, how many deaths can you actually put on him? Yeah. Like, he didn't physically kill those people. Sure. Uh, I mean, maybe some of the policies led to a, f- a bad famine, uh, definitely, but it wasn't, like, the way we think of it as, like, it's not, it's not the same as, like, Hitler sending people into gas chambers to specifically to kill them. Right. It's yeah. different. And I do think, like, Stalin I'm not a big fan of, but I do also think he is greatly uh, misunderstood within mm-hmm. the West. Um, and there's obviously reasons for that and reasons for putting Mao down. Um, one of the, um, if we go back to like production, um, I was thinking about this today. So America and the West is basically the head of capitalism, right? And um, there's the tail, or what I'm calling the tail, is uh, like places like India and China, where are the factory floors, where the low wage workers, the exploited workers, are, are, and they're making the consumer goods that get sold back to the West, whatever that whole process. So. The thing that I was thinking about is, basically with a proletarian revolution in America, um, do you hope to cut off the head of capitalism? And if that's the case, like, can the head then relocate uh, itself? Does that make sense? Yeah. So the head can, uh, and you are correct, that is our aim. It's to, it's to stop uh, capitalism and imperialism in this country, understanding that it's, it's a global yeah. Uh, it's a global system, so we uh, we are not isolationists. We don't solely focus on the U.S. as a as a as a as the battleground for for uh, for proletarian revolution. We have to be internationalists. We have to work with the comrades in India, with the comrades in in Vietnam, and the Philippines, and elsewhere, and especially in China, which is a fairly incredibly difficult country to wage another revolution in. Especially because, mm-hmm. like you pointed out, the genuine, authentic Maoist actual communists are either underground or have been systemically wiped out. But they do exist, though. There's still elements of people calling for another revolution in China. Uh, I'm sure they're tiny, and I'm sure they have to be as clandestine as possible. Oh, yeah. We, as U.S. communists, uh, our revolution is actually, has to be connected to revolutions happening in all parts of the world, especially where the where the productive base is based in. Although in the U.S. we still have huge production. It's not Mm. that we don't, but but yeah, so it would have to be an internationalist revolution, but obviously uh, our analysis has to come from how to, how to wage and successfully win one in the U.S. Uh, yeah, so internationalism is the short, short end of it all. So there has to be a coordinated global movement of revolution. I, I basically agree with that, because like, uh, even if you, if you look at like the moving tail of it, and right now we have like production in China and India, what's going to happen in time is eventually like, they're going to replicate most likely uh, when the countries are uh, wealthy enough. It's not, there, there will be some shared wealth uh, going on, but it, it's going to re, it's going to create like a middle class in China, a middle class in India. Those workers will, um, you know, get up to like the standard of living uh, pretty much of America, in which case the capitalists will pull out production and just relocate to like Africa is probably the new is going to be the next one where they move to where labor is going to be dirt cheap and mm-hmm. just sets, I think it's already happening yeah. uh, and start setting up factories there. Um, uh, it's just it's, you know when you look at the whole picture of it, it's very overwhelming. But I do think um, with the advent of this technology, like the internet, it, you can coordinate with uh, people across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there is also the security state to uh, 
counteract that, uh, which presents its own problems, obviously. So, like, I'm, I'm making this podcast right now. Somebody could easily listen to it and be like, yeah, that needs to be stopped. Or, I mean, they could switch on my phone basically at any moment and just start recording that. What is, are you planning on anything? How do you get around the massive security state then? <clears throat> so, uh, we as uh, the Red Guards LA connected to uh, the New Communist Party Liaison Committee, we're not even a party yet. We're not even calling for a, for a protracted people's war yet. We're not mm. even basically calling for a revolution yet. We are calling for self-defense, obviously. I mean, uh, people's militias, uh, just your basic rudimentary, like, look, the cops are killing us. Perhaps we should start defending ourselves, which isn't anything illegal, which isn't anything that hopefully no one... No, white people do it all this, the time, and it's fine. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're calling for that. Right, I should say we are uh, speaking in theoretical terms here. We're not uh, actively plotting a revolution currently. Yeah, but we will be. I mean, my organization, you know, it, it could be out in the open. Anyone that could Google Maoism will know that it's uh, people's war is inseparable from that. Right, right. So we, we, when we're mature enough, big enough, uh, that's something that we're going to be planning on doing. At the time being, all we're doing is study groups and movie nights. So right. there's no need to, to fear us or whatever. Um, and also... Um, we have to be connected to the masses. We have to have a base there. If we don't have, if the people themselves don't want a revolution, we as Maoists cannot wage one. Yeah, I think that's an important uh, distinction to make. Too. So it's, it's like because that's the distinction between uh, a real revolutionary movement and just like um, you know what is called terrorism, like terrorist yeah. tactics. Like yeah. uh, terrorists aren't really connected to, or what I'm using as a definition of terrorist. Uh, aren't really connected to a uh, movement that reflects the views of the people mm-hmm. uh, or majority of the people. It's usually just some uh, sort of, I don't know what do you call it, just like a, a cell. Yeah. That's a, yeah, a rogue cell. So, like, when you see, because uh, I think, you know, if people are listening to this, they might uh, conjure up images of, like, say, the Paris shooters or something. Like, mm-hmm. like that's something that uh, you'd be for. And yeah. obviously that's no. not it. That's not connected so. to anything that's for a people. Uh, that's just a sort of random acts of violence that get yeah. you nowhere and actually harm your cause uh, sure. because it gives the security state more reason to pump up their security mm-hmm. and uh, lash out uh, where they want to lash out. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, though it does, like, the security state does present a problem because every, where everything uh, is electronic and monitored and heard, like, will the state stop out at any revolution before it happens? And are, is. I know, like, you, you believe that um, as Maoists, like, revolution is the way to go. But do you see any other way of bringing about real change? Like, is there any hope in reform or, like, maybe, like, like the CPUSA, the Communist Party USA, is probably the main Communist Party in America. It doesn't have big membership, but they're seeking more to go through uh, traditional, the traditional avenues of uh, politics. politics. Yeah. yeah. So, is there any hope in that? So, there's, there's hope, there's great hope in reforms, if that's all that you're hoping for, in the CPUSA's route uh, program, and in the already established uh, bourgeois system and government. If you want reform, you can get it, for mm-hmm. the most part. You can get a, a $15 an hour federal minimum wage, you can get, you can, it'll be hard to do, but you could reintroduce uh, more union-friendly laws, right? So... All, all of these reforms are actually very, very possible. Um, and so we're not anti-reform. We're anti-reformism. So the reformism obviously is an emphasis that, that, that reform is the, the main 
it's not only the method, but it's the end. So, you know, so we're anti that. We're right. anti-trade unionism, so, you know. So the, um, and I think this is the distinction you're making, like, so reform is nice. It definitely helps people when it's, uh, yeah. when it's effective. Uh, but as a main goal of, like, you don't, like, it still keeps the power system in place and the whole same power structure in place, and that's the uh, right. problem in uh, your view. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, that groups like the CPUSA, but, but actually just majority of people that call themselves communists do, is they, uh, they'll, they'll win popular support, thousands and thousands. I mean, they'll have mass support behind a reform, but they fail to contextualize that into a revolutionary strategy. Mm. The last time, uh, we should probably stop shitting on the CPUSA. I don't want to. Talk oh, about I, don't, it. I don't even think we're shitting on them. I, nope. I don't consider me shitting on it right okay, now. Okay. Just, I think it's. I think it's. Um, you know, that's one way of going about it. Um, but they're not they're, though. That's why. Like, well, they. What would uh, like for uh, posterity reasons? I, I started uh, going around to uh, the local CPUSA chapter. You know, they're, they're find enough people. Um, what kind of uh, off put me to them was just. Uh, you know, they weren't. They weren't like running their own candidates. They basically just said vote for Democrats. It's like I don't need a communist party to tell me to vote for Democrats. If I was going to vote for anybody, uh, you know, it's probably going to be the Democrat out of the bunch. So it's like it, it just didn't click with me. Not not to you know I don't think it's like an awful organization or anything like that. It's just it I, I didn't see it as a fruitful endeavor. Yeah. Um, so you know you're right. Yeah, and and I also wanted to add that. It's not a fruitful endeavor uh, because that that's the end all of their actual program. They'll they'll you'll you'll butt heads with people that will say no, that's not right. We want revolution in the CPUSA or whatever. But but um, but they don't. Right? They really are committed to this idea of socialism through the ballot box. Right. We can reform our way into a people's government, and that's fundamentally antithetical to what we as Maoists, but also just as communists are trying to do, we can, we can win these reforms, but if they're absent from a strategy of like, look, uh, this could only take us so far, we need an actual revolution in this country so that these reforms that we're fighting tooth and nail for, or like healthcare, right? Like healthcare right. turned into this insurance reform as opposed to like universal healthcare, right? I, have, you, I can't tell you the number of debates I've had with friends and liberal friends who uh, just don't, they're not grasping the concept of like, yeah, of course, like th- this is the problem with most like uh, reforms and uh, you know just our our political system is like when a reform happens, the argument always becomes like, well, it's better than nothing. Yeah. And it's like, of course, like Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act is better than nothing. More people are able to see a doctor. That is good, mm-hmm. but the, it falls short of doing something revolutionary, doing mm-hmm. something which we all should have. Everybody should have health care, and yeah. we can do it. You just have to change how you view the world a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and that drives me nuts. So it ended up being like a big, uh, it was okay for people, but it's really just a, you know, a slam dunk for insurance companies. And that's mm-hmm. the, who profits the most for it, from it. Because now it's mandatory for everyone to have health insurance. Yeah. And that's actually how I feel similarly to um, Obama's like, community college initiative, too. It's like, well, this doesn't, you know, it's better than nothing, but you're going to pay for two years. Of course, there's stipulations on it. It's like you have to maintain a GPA. You can't have a criminal record. So already you're excluding a bunch of people. Yeah. And you're, you're excluding people out of it. And it's... People use community college uh, as a gateway into the university system. So uh, essentially it's just like, here, a couple of years of community college for free, get more people into the education system, and it doesn't address really the cost of it. So the government's going to foot the bill, which comes from taxpayers, 
and I'm okay with that if it's this big umbrella like education for all but when it's just you're just funneling more people into the university system which is a business system uh, which I so it's like so hard to like argue these especially among um, I guess liberals who see that as like a great step forward and I guess like we're similar in the way that we just uh, you know we see that as something but more piecemeal than anything else so how would you like because, I mean, there is, like, strong support for Obama. There is, like, a sizable, like, Democratic Party, right, and uh, a liberal, if you want to use that term, uh, base in the country. How do you get them, so not, like, the Tea Party like we were talking about before, but how do you get, like, Democrats? How do you move them to further to the left? Uh, so I think our tactic largely remains one of, like, uh, seeing the class-race uh, relationship and in regards to... Uh, to a person of African descent or to a person of Chicano or indigenous descent, I think our tactic of winning them over comes from that and also from the class, right? Mm -hmm. So not necessarily like, we don't make an analysis of like, how can we get, how can we recruit people from the Democratic Party? Because we, it would, that would just, I don't know, it would be pointless, right? I don't know. A better analysis, Mm -hmm. a better question should be, how do we win over sections of the masses uh, that are members of the oppressed nations, you know, that's one of our tactics of of ways of communicating with people that is successful. Uh, How do we win over sections of the working class that are the most marginalized and oppressed? Well, then again, we talk about the reason your oppression exists is directly tied to the reason capitalism in the U.S. exists, and we want want freedom for you and for our people and for our class. So it doesn't, it, it is nuanced more or less depending on a person's particularities or whatever but no we don't have a tactic for recruiting from bourgeois organizations i get you yeah but i wasn't even uh, specifically meaning like the democratic party but like people who have like liberal tendencies how do you like just in like say arguing um with them or just like i mean i guess we kind of covered how you present the argument is like it's you know sort of piecemeal as legislation doesn't go all the way like it should i guess well, like how do you combat the um just like with your friends arguing like that, well, it's better than nothing sort of apathy. Because uh, we've got to overcome a lot of that apathy. Um, and that exists, I think, uh, within the working class, too, who, who aren't connected. Because a lot of the working class yeah, do vote Democratic because the unions that do exist, I mean, they vote Democratic because they're, Democrats are basically the only thing that's keeping some unions going. The Republicans would ax it all if they could. Yeah. Um, so... Uh... We, we also don't have a tactic or a desire um, to, to embrace liberals. Uh, we, we view them as, as highly antagonistic, not the, not the most principled antagonism in the U.S., that's not our analysis, but Mao wrote a lot about combating liberalism, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of Marxist-Leninists and communists uh, understand the dangers of liberalism. It isn't something benign that it's like, ah, oh, they're kind of close to the left now, man. They're kind of like a... They're kind of dangerous to revolutionaries, to revolutionary movements, to revolutions in general. And um, why is that? It's because they'll they'll side with the bourgeois. Or? That and because they'll they're they're very committed to the system that is perpetuating reforms. Because they they're happy with the reforms. The people that tell you, yeah. the people that tell us, hey, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, they yeah. genuinely mean that, right? Like, right. They they like the way the system is arranged. They they like going to work, even though they say they'll hate work. But they like their consumerism. They're in, they're in they're uh, they're benef- They see that themselves as benefiting off of U.S. capitalism, um, whereas there are other folks that are a little bit um, 
more conscious of their class position in society that would be far more welcoming to the ideas of revolution. That said, mm. we don't we don't go out and attack liberals. We'll talk right. to them and we'll we'll put forth the necessity of revolution and what happens happens. But more times than not what happens is this refusal of it because it's it's uh, too ultra left or it's asinine or it's not needed in the US because it's such a fucking awesome country. Yeah. So they're dangerous because they they will be the ones that fight the revolutionaries. Right. You know? uh, yeah, I agree. I also think that, you know, people just have a misperception of how bad capitalism actually is. And, like, because people have this distorted perception. Maybe it's sort of coming down now because of uh, things like Occupy, at least, like, you know, where Occupy failed, it at least started dialogue and got people Mm -hmm. tuned into this concept of the uh, 1%, which actually is in the the people's history, in the back of the people's history is in, uh, it, it mentions... Uh, you know the idea of the one percent or he might use like five percent but the concept is there in the back of that book they took it out of that book which i'm sure many people have read but it wasn't in the public sphere really they took it out of the book into the public sphere and at least started dialogue on it and that's definitely good but people don't i don't think they really grasp how much money the people at the top are making and how little people at the bottom are making and especially if you expand it out to a global uh, level in the article i was reading by richard wolf Basically, he said there was like sixteen to seventeen hundred billionaires in the world, and they have as much uh, wealth and property as three point five billion human beings, and that's just disgusting. There's no justification for that. There's absolutely no justification for that. It's like I don't, I couldn't even imagine what three point five billion people look like. How many people is that? I don't know. I can, I can maybe picture a thousand people, as many people in a rock concert, and that seems like a billion people. But that's like a billion. Rock concerts, yeah, on top of each other, like it's unfathomable. There's like because you know there is a large middle class in America that's doing okay by themselves. I don't think they can really and and because the stratification of society where they're living in you know sub suburbs or just in nice parts of the city, they don't really have to confront the real uh, you know the real shitstorm of capitalism. The real the people who are uh, getting the shit end of it. The worst end of it. Because I, I, I feel like those people wouldn't support really that sort of enslavement of, of uh, people. But because they're so sheltered in their own little enclaves, like they just can't grasp how awful things really are. Political education is key yeah. in, in communism and in, in communists and communist organizing. Political, political education, uh, if done correctly has the ability to open people's eyes to raise their consciousness when it comes to uh, in the US in particular consumerism I think is a great gateway it's a great key Mm. to get people to become more conscious of how everything is interconnected how to get people talking about Marxian concepts of of value and stuff like that because okay so if you are the suburban well off person and you got your family and you go to work and you're making 50k or 60 or whatever uh you know, things are all right for you, right? And maybe you vote them and you give some money to the homeless person here and there. You're overall yeah. a good person, but you are genuinely invested in capitalism because you feel that you're benefiting off of it. You have a family, for fuck's sake. You, yeah. have a, you have a house. That's you only thinking about you, your nuclear family, you as, 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 a, as a male or as a whatever in the U.S., but when you start talking about where your car comes from, where the parts come from that are in the car, where the oil comes from, yeah. what your house is actually built on, one of the things that's missing in a lot of these communist organizations is a fucking analysis that a lot of this land, all of this land is yeah, actually stolen Native right, American the land. Yeah. And they're still here, by the way. Yeah. They're still here, so don't think that they're... I mean, yeah. there was a genocide, but there are survivors of that genocide in this country that ought to 
ought to be, and they are to a certain extent, the fucking potential for a revolutionary vanguard, right? Yeah. So if you break it down this way, theoretically, you can you can help reach a, uh, elevate a person's level of consciousness so that he or she can start making the connection that like, no, our society is only good for me because it's actually it's built bad for someone. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. Just, your happiness is fucking inversely proportional to the rest of the world, to the yeah. global south. Yeah, it's it's hard to because that, that's why when I talk to people, I've been trying to engage my parents in this, and you know they're uh, they grew up during the, the height of the Cold War, so they're very very anti-communist. My mm-hmm. dad's just kind of a nut, uh, but I try and engage them anyway. Just you know, got to do something, uh, and that's what I'm saying is like you're I'm gonna talk to my mom. It's like you have a nice house, you have nice things. Uh, but this niceness is coming at the cost of somebody else's livelihood. It's yeah. The brilliance of capitalism is that it's hiding those mechanisms mm-hmm. out of sight. And it's, if you actually go in, like, if you show, I showed her, um, you know, you show her, like, videos of, like, the manufacturing floor where, like, this recorder that I'm recording on came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, people look at that and they'd be like, oh, that's horrible. But they still fail to connect the dots that it's like, it's not horrible because the people in China who assembled this don't know how to organize themselves and run a country. Like, they are taking the brunt of capitalist production. Like, they, like, they, it's a big chain. It's like, we, we're doing really well because a majority of the Chinese and the yeah. Indian are doing uh, really poorly. And they're all connected. But, like, people seem to isolate it as, like, well, China needs to get their shit together and make their country better. But it's like, that's not how it's actually working. It's the corporate interests, capitalist interests uh, are keeping them down. Of course. Yeah. We go to China for manufacturing um, because of those conditions. Right. Not, not, not uh, accidentally. It's, it's a global vortex to pull labor down sure. to the cheapest uh, possible. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and now, actually, in the U.S., we're going, we're, we're reclaiming American uh, production. Uh, so you would think, oh, wow, this is great. Yeah. But it just so happens that it's actually in the prisons, in the prisons now. So when you see American-made... When That's you, a really good point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So yeah, jobs, some jobs, and this is a... I don't know how gigantic or, or small this percentage is, but it mm. exists. Where now production is taking place within, with prison labor... Um, so you can sell it as something that's American-made that plays to the, to, the, to the patriotic sentiments of a lot of American people. But, um, but fuck, at what cost? You know, that's actually... A person working in, a, in prison labor would probably make more money if he or she were working in fucking China. <laughs> so, um, so it's a contradiction of, of how something is produced and the relationship people have to that econ- economy and to each other. I think that's key. I would say that's probably a, a universal tactic in reaching out to anybody to raise his or her awareness about what Marxism is or what communism is, is to talk about the interconnection of everything and... I mean, that, I think that's actually a pretty superior way to, to go about radicalizing people. Yeah, I agree. And on, uh, on that note, I think we are, we've been talking now for about an hour. Uh, I think we hit all the bases. Do, is, there a, uh, is there a book you would recommend people reading to sort of... Um, what was a book uh, that really enlightened you or uh, you would recommend to sort of uh, pique people's interest and get them thinking along the, the ways that you think? I know there's probably a lot of books, but if yeah. you could uh, maybe pitch one or two. You know what? So, one that I just read recently, mm-hmm. and it's brand new too, because oftentimes when, when, a, when a communist is asked that question, we'll always say, State and Revolution, Lenin, Communist Manifesto, right. or uh, Private Property, you know, Engels, yeah. uh, you know, Origin of Private Property, Family in the State. 
But uh, that that shit's old. It could get pretty dense. Yep. There's this new book that just came out from this uh, Maoist in uh, Canada. Um, it's called The Communist Necessity. If you Google The Communist Necessity, there's this like left-wing, I think it's Canadian-based, uh, publishing house uh, that sells it for like 10 bucks, 11 bucks or something like that. It's a quick read. It's probably like 170 pages or something like that. And what this guy does is he breaks down, um, since the title is Communist Necessity, why it's necessary for for a communist revolution to be waged, especially in capitalist imperialist uh, countries. Um, so that'd be a great way for, and it's very intro. It talks about like the difference between communist ideology versus liberalism, uh, or what he calls a movementism, which is what Occupy was, which is just pseudo-anarchism. You just go from topic to topic without doing affecting any fundamental change. Right. So that's a book I would recommend. All right. Here uh, thank you very much for joining me. I think that will be the end of our discussion, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. That concludes the interview with Facundo Rampe, and uh, that concludes this two-part segment of uh, Communist Revolution on Democracy How. And I'm uh, kind of glad that we ended it on a note of shitting on liberals, uh, to be honest, because uh, I don't uh, don't care for liberals very much. If you look at it's their their moral relativism, I find liberals' moral relativism to be worse than conservatives' moral relativism. Uh, and what I mean by that, if you look at conservatives, we'll see America's actions, um, especially our atrocities that we commit, you know, uh, as being generally positive because America is good. We are a force of good and democracy. So when we act atrociously uh, at home or globally, um, it is really good. So I understand that from conservatives. But with liberals, they recognize the atrocities of the state, right? And there's many of them. We can take any pick throughout history. There was the uh, genocide of the natives. There's uh, genocide and enslavement of Africans, uh, the continued prosecution or persecution, oppression, suppression of African-Americans. They're being murdered in the street. Uh, nobody seems to really care. Uh, there's Japanese internment camps, uh, our horrible wars in uh, Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iraq and our continued drone strikes, Obama's uh, cracking down on uh, journalists, uh, our ridiculous incarceration rate, which is at the top of the world. We have the most uh, prisoners uh, in our prison system in, in, than any other country. And so liberals look at all those things and go, oh, sure, sure, all those are bad. But uh, somehow they don't connect it to it being the state's fault. You see, it's like, oh, well, when the state commits an atrocity, uh, it's bad, but the state still generally is good because uh, we'll vote for John Kerry at some point. <laughs> I think the sort of liberal class in America uh, has been completely sold out. Um, you know, I think maybe 100 years ago, late 19th century, there was definitely a big uh, sort of leftist anarchist movement, communist movement uh, that got crushed uh, by World War One, and then uh, subsequently World War Two. Uh, but since then, the political center 
of our country has been dragged further and further and further to the right. Uh, and so now you have a president like Barack Obama, who is a liberal, sort of, no he's not, uh, who go gets on TV and gives a really empty speech, his State of the Union, where he's talking about ramming through these free trade agreements, which is basically economic fascism and is going to ruin and wreck... Uh, many people's livelihoods just you know far out of sight where we don't get to see it and somehow liberals believe that they are some kind of counterweight to like republicans who are incredibly or conservatives are incredibly fascist but the real function of like the democratic party isn't to be the counter lever to uh the republican party say uh they are both parties of capitalism so that we have a one-party capitalist system with two factions, Democrats and Republicans. So Democrats' real function is to keep capitalism alive and to uh, stifle dissent, basically to funnel dissent. So uh, people like myself and uh, people like Facundo Rompe, who have um, what is labeled as radical views, uh, our views are just immediately dismissed uh, because they're too radical or, uh, in Facundo's case, revolutionary. He wants to overthrow the whole system. So... They say that's not allowed to happen. We have to do it through the ballot box. But if anything, we can see how much of a failure that is. That doesn't really work. It hasn't really ever worked. It probably won't ever work in the future. The only thing that has actually moved real legislation in this country is when there has been serious threats of revolution, when there's enough people on the streets to scare the power structure. And that's what happened in the 60s. That's why the civil rights movement was uh, such a powerful movement because there were so many people in the streets united for a cause and they scared the shit out of the power elite and they had a cave uh and you know that we could go on to that uh go into that in great detail but i just want to say like before we end it uh is revolution the way to go i don't know the question is how long are the people who are exploited oppressed marginalized enslaved by global capitalism supposed to wait feasibly how long are they supposed to wait for so-called liberal reformers to act to reform to change the system are they supposed to wait five years 10 years 100 years 400 years how long do you expect people with no options just to sit on their hands and wait if there's not a serious threat of revolution nothing's going to change. Nobody is going to act. The people in power will just continue to exploit as many people as they can exploit. Uh, so on that note, we're going to end the show with uh, some music. We got uh, my friend's band, uh, Fishing the Sky. going to play the second track off, his, uh, off their album, For You. Uh, it's called Bears, Beats, and Battlestar Galactica. You can find it on um, Fishing the Sky Bandcamp, Fishing the Sky uh, Tumblr page, at uh, Fishing the Sky on Twitter. Uh, once again, I want to thank uh, Crab Diving Network uh, for letting me host this ridiculous, uh, seditious show. So tune in next week. I'll be interviewing, we'll be t moving away from revolution and be talking about uh, the gift economy with uh, Robin Upton. He's the host of Unwelcome Guests podcast. Uh, I'd suggest you check that out as well. But back over to music, Fishing the Sky, Bears, Beats, Battlestar Galactica. Bye.